First of all, before we get started, uh, if we start smiling here, it's because we think all of you are students. <laughs> Our uh, 47 years in education, we've dealt with many, many students. This is the first time that we are witnessing to uh, people of our own age and younger, so, uh, and maybe a few older. But, uh, so, if you have to go to the restroom, don't need to raise your hand, you can just go ahead. <laughs> we were born to parents of strong Catholic faith. We were both raised in small communities. I was born in Cascade, Iowa. And I was raised and born in, well, actually I was born first, and then raised in even a smaller community in Ryan. We both attended Catholic schools through high school, and I attended Mount Mercy College here in Cedar Rapids, now Mount Mercy University. After I graduated from high school, I attended Morris College. I went to Morris College because uh, I thought it was a small school, but my high school at 17 in the graduating class, and then I went to a class of 200. Wow, what a shock. After I was there about a year and a half, I discovered that college really wasn't for me at this time. And so I joined the Marine Corps back in the 69, late 60s, early 70s. Most of us know what was going on at that time. And so you might ask, why did I join the Marine Corps? Well, I had three older brothers, and they were Marines. And I know my brothers were probably less forgiving than Cindy's dad's brothers. You see, my dad said he had to enter the Navy during World War II because they weren't getting the job done in the Army. He had three older brothers there, so. And I'm, not, and I'm pretty sure that my mom was not real happy with my decision to leave college and to go into the service, especially when I had to go to Vietnam and serve as a regimental sniper. I think this is probably the worst time that I really started talking to God, but I think God, my voice to God was one-sided, always asking Him. And so I would say those selfish prayers, like, please God, get me out of this situation, and I'll never forget you. Well, until the next time. And then I would go and I would say the same prayer again, and sorry to say, I did forget it. And I'm just happy that I wasn't a Pinocchio, because if I was, every time I said this prayer, my nose probably would have been shot off as long as it was. But fortunately, God was with me. I didn't know it at the time. He didn't get, give me the actual situation answers that I wanted, but he gave me the strength to get through it. I didn't know that at the time. It's only through my hard life later on, which we will talk about, that I actually did uh, discover that God was with me. As, as we, I came back from uh, Vietnam, I stayed with my brother again in California, who helped me for about a month to get over any experiences that I had from my past year. However, there wasn't all of them. Some of them came up later on after Cindy and I met. When Dave got back from Vietnam, he returned from California one day and ended up heading off with all of his high school buds to go back to, to go to Colorado for a week. 
I had just broke up with my best friend's brother at Mount Mercy. And um, she came in and she said, Cindy, I got this guy they want me to hook you up with. And it was a good friend of her boyfriend, Jim. And I said, sure, why not? So our first date was at King's Restaurant. It's kind of where the Lone Star is now today here in Cedar Rapids. And um, the rest is history. Six months later, we were engaged. I knew he was the one I wanted to share my life with. And you probably ask why in such a short time. Well, they had, I knew, strong faith. We both attended Sunday liturgy even back then as we were dating. Um, he had very strong family values. And I'll be honest with you, I love my mother-in-law. And, that, and a, lot of, a lot of wives can't say that. I was actually second fiddle then. Um, however, there was a slight problem, you see. I had to convince my Uncle Stephen, who's now a deacon in Cascade. You see, he was my mom's younger brother, and when he found out that I was dating a hoodlum from Ryan, Iowa, he lived in my mother. And um, luckily, my mom didn't listen, and I surely didn't listen to him, and we were married in 1972 at St. Martin's Parish, the Irish Parish, in Cascade. You know, we're not experts in marriage. There are many of you here that have some of these same experiences that we're going to talk about today. And I'm not sure, but it had to be the Holy Spirit that came upon us and got us out of our comfort zone. Or maybe it was something else. But we did say, we did say yes to Pete Matheson when he asked us to come and speak. But it could have been something else, like... I feel it was Mike Schulte promising me ice cream at the end of the evening. Um, Father Mark, who's here this evening, we sometimes go over to St. Elizabeth's because that's where our son and his wife and children go to church. And a month ago in his homily or so, he talked about relationships and the fact that they don't stay the same, that they constantly change. That relationship can be with our spouse or it can be our, with our relationship with God. Our, our relationship as a couple has definitely changed from when we first met as a young couple to when we had children to now empty nesters. I also feel that our relationship with God has changed and grown. Both have taken time and a lot of hard work. I saw a quote, I'm a, a big Facebook fan now since I've got a lot of kids on it, and it says marriage is not 50-50. Divorce is 50%, 50%. Marriage has to be 100%, 100%. It isn't dividing everything in half, but giving everything you've got. You can't always get what you want. It takes compromise. And um, just as we cannot get everything we want, we, when we talk to one another, we also can't get everything we ask of God. It's easy sometimes to give up on God when we think he has not answered our prayers. Maybe we don't always know his plan, and maybe he has answered, but not necessarily in the way that we want it. I grew up in a, in a family where my parents uh, did not show emotion, did not show affection to what in front of us, or actually in public. Our prayer was always private. The only time that we did prayer as a family and as a group 
was when we, on Sunday morning, we'd get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, milk the cows, get ready, and go to 7 o'clock church or 8 o'clock church, depending upon the season of the year. We would always go as a family. family. The only other time that I can recall that we prayed as a uh, family was in the month of May, this time of the year, when we would say the rosary at night as a family. And of course, I was always starting off fights with my brothers because back then, TV was just getting a good start. Maybe limited in black and white, but we would always argue on what show and what time we were going to say the rosary so we could watch our show. Mom and Dad always won, especially when Lawrence Welk was on. I grew up in kind of a different family. My family was one that did show a lot of emotions. My dad was a huge hugger. And my sister and I always joked we had a watch uh, when things came around because he also was a good crier. We always attended Mass early in the morning. I can even tell you it was always pew 336. Um, well, Cindy and I have been blessed with uh, four wonderful children. Jennifer who married Chad and have a, have a uh, great son, uh, Harley, because uh, he likes to drive Harley Davidson's. Uh, we have Stephanie, uh, who married Jim. That's quite a roundabout name because Cindy's last name was Gross, and she married a Glenn. Stephanie's last name was Glenn, and she is now a Gross. And they have two wonderful daughters, and Jason uh, and his wife, Angie, have two wonderful children, Lucas, and I do say Lucas is not Luke, which I am often reprimanded by a two-year-old because his name is Lucas, not Luke. And they also have Anna. And we have Amanda, whose husband is Matt, and they have two wonderful children, uh, Jackson and Delaney. But we're not going to sit here and talk about our children all day. But we are going to talk this evening a little bit about Jennifer. I was so excited when I first got pregnant with Jennifer. She was our first. I did everything that I was told. Healthy pregnancy, everything went along fine. She was born, beautiful, curly, brown hair, blonde hair, I should say. But about at 12 months old, we knew something wasn't right. She was not responding the way my sister's daughter was. And so we kind of knew what was, we knew something was wrong, went to the doctor, and he sent us to a specialist, a hearing specialist. We had tests run, and the doctor told me, oh, there's nothing wrong with her. She has a perfectly normal, healthy cry. You are just an overprotective mother. So I thought, okay, everything's fine. Five months later or so, my mom finally approached me and she says, I don't want to interfere, but Cindy, there's something wrong with Jenny. And so I went back for her 18-month check and I told the doctor and I said that I refuse to go back to the same doctor because um, I'm not going to be belittled again. There is something wrong with our daughter. He sent us to the Wendell Johnson Speech and Hearing Clinic in Iowa City. My fear was not so much that she had a hearing loss, but that I would have to send Jenny away to a residential school. In Jeremiah chapter 28, for I know plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. When you think about those words, which we have, 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We don't know all the plans God has for us, but we put the trust in God that he will strengthen us each and every day. See, we found out the day we took Jennifer down to the clinic that um, she did have a loss. In fact, she had a profound hearing loss. You know, the question we ask ourselves, and we're sure you ask yourself many, many times when you're in situations like this, why us? Why me? What did we do to deserve this? We asked God, hey, what's your plan? What's your plan? We prayed about this. And eventually we realized that happiness isn't about getting everything you want all the time. It's about being happy with the things that you have and grateful for it. You see, God, I feel, did have a plan. Growing up in Cascade, my very best friend was Jean. And she had a brother, Vernon, who was deaf. I was exposed to deafness, and so I really wasn't fearful about being around deaf people. I had visited a residential school with the Kurt family. This is how you clap in the deaf world. God was preparing me for a special child. Jennifer continues to be our challenge even today. The deaf culture is a very definite, proud culture that we have learned. They had tremendous support groups back there when Jenny was growing up. But one of the things both Dave and I realized that was that many of the parents of those children were single and divorced. With a child with special needs, it can either make her very stronger or it can make it weaker. Many times it ends up being a blame game. Who's at fault here? It's hard to accept that maybe that your child isn't perfect. So as a family, we needed to learn to communicate a lot differently. Cindy and I are very, very slow learners. We had to take sign language 101 twice. <laughs> In part, also other parts of those marriage vows, it says rich or poor. When we were first married, you see, Dave was still in school. He was going to school full time and I began work at All Saints. Back then, I think, I, I can't tell you what I make now, but I can tell you back then my first salary was $5,700 for the whole year. Um, I worked at Top Lot in the summer to help with expenses to get Dave through school. And then the children started coming in 1974. I grew up in a household where my dad said there's always room for one more. There were years of things that financially were really pretty tight. Most of our fights at that time dealt with money. I'm a worrier, you see, and I get that honestly from my dad, but Dave's my balance. We learned, we learned to enjoy things as a family. Couldn't afford a babysitter to go out much, so our entertainment kind of revolved around our children. And sometimes our children don't like to admit it, but when we first moved out to the house that we're in right now, we had a 100 foot by 100 foot garden. And then we would plant the garden, and then we had to listen to the fights when we brought it in because one of my our children had one more pot that had a pot of pee than the other. Or you could listen to them scream when they found a worm in the lettuce. There's also times that we had agreements with our neighbors. We just sent our children down to them, and they would send them back up. 
I can remember when we bought our first house, however, it was on 21st Street. We did not have the money for a down payment. The realtor asked us to see if we could get one of our parents to co-sign a loan. Dave and I talked about it and we said no, if that was the only way we weren't going to get the house. However, somewhere or another someone vouched for us. God was providing. We suspect, but I really feel it was God's intervention. After the birth of our second daughter and Cindy was pregnant with number three, we decided to move out into the country, more for the safety for our daughter who was deaf. We bought some land outside in a cornfield and sold our house at 21st Street and moved into a two-bedroom apartment. Talk about a stressful time in our life. We built the house in three months and we did it ourselves with the help of family. We got into a routine. We were up at 5.30 in the morning. Dave would go out, go work on the house. I would go to the laundromat, make lunch, take it out to Dave. We'd eat together as a family. Then um, I'd go home, put the two girls down for a nap. Then I'd make dinner, take the dinner out, also try to help as much as I could with a hammer. We'd meet the neighbors at 9 o'clock, make it home by 10, go to bed, start it all over again the next day. A long-lasting marriage is built by two people who believe in and live by the solemn promise they made. Dave and I have had our disagreements, and some have been really good ones. But I've heard it said, you can laugh at your own mistakes and live, live a long life. But you laugh at your wife's mistakes and you don't. <laughs> you know, the more we laugh, the more we learn to grow. And the more we laughed together, the more connected we became. Like forgetting our very first anniversary. But I remember the second one. But you sent the very good friend out to buy the gift the day of. But I'm, but I'm very romantic. You know, at kind of Christmas time, I bought the most, the best gift that any person could ever have. A padded toilet seat. For the time he came home from, I came home from school and he fired the cleaning lady on my birthday. <laughs> Dave can be romantic at times, he says, and that's true. Like how about the time we were in the car driving to Chicago and he says, Cindy, quick, call Jason. Tell him roses are on sale at IV. He may want to pick them up for his fiance. Now this is before credit cards were really used a lot. So we went down to Iowa City, we had a great meal, we paid for our meal, and then we went, as we were leaving, there was this band playing in the lounge. We said, oh, let's have an after dinner drink and enjoy the band. So we ordered an after dinner drink. So the waitress came with our after dinner drinks, and my neighbor said, I'll pick this one up. I said, okay, didn't have enough money. I said, okay, fine, I'll pick it up. I didn't have enough money. <laughs> we were digging through our purses. And so finally, the waiter says, and she just laughed and said, I'll pick up the rest. <laughs> Another building adventure in our life came about when it was time to reshingle our house. Um, they were truly in bad shape. 
I had the color picked out, they were delivered, but I had to run an errand the morning they started shingling. Um, I got home and they were really moving along quite well. They had five or seven rows. <clears throat> Dave was so proud of the progress. That was on each side of the house. I'm standing on the deck looking up on the roof and Dave yells down, hey, what do you think? My response was, it's the wrong color. And I said, are you sure? I said, yes, it's the wrong color. Well, Jason, our, our son, said, come on, Mom, they'll be okay. As tears are streaming down my cheek, I yell up, but I've got to live with them for the next 30 years, and I don't like it. So I looked at Jason and I said, Jason, I think we're going to have to tear off these shingles and put the correct ones down. These are not the exact words that Jason said, but the meaning is, do we really have to, Dad? <laughs> I looked at Jason and I said, someday you will learn that when Mama's not happy, nobody's going to be happy. I did get the right color shingles. And it is still the talk of the neighborhood anytime someone has to change shingles in our neighborhood. You know, it's important to handle and enjoy the little things of life because as time goes on, they become the bigger things. You see, our journey, I think we have learned a happy marriage doesn't mean you have to have a perfect spouse or a perfect marriage. It simply means that you have learned to live beyond the imperfections and enjoy the ride. In February of 1991, my father was diagnosed with prostate cancer. It was the big C word hitting too close to home in our household. It was a very stressful time in my life. I was worried about my father. I was principal of the school here at All Saints. There was lots of commitments at home. Things were not real positive in my life at that time or going very smoothly. I don't know how Dave was really putting up with me. In Ephesians uh, chapter 4, you know, it said, Be comfortably humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Our take on this is, as a couple, we need to stay patient, we need to be gentle with each other. We need to be selfless in our relationship because our hope is to uh, follow these words and to avoid confrontation and arguments. And I have a long way to go with this one. You see, I am the one in the relationship, I'll admit, is more high strung. Dave is the calm one. And I will say, thank goodness, three out of our four children take after him and there's only one that takes after me. In March of the same year that my dad was diagnosed with cancer, Channel 9 News was running a special on breast cancer awareness because, see, at that time, one out of 11 women were diagnosed with breast cancer. Monday of that start of that week, they were running a special, and they were going to show how to do a breast exam. I must admit, I failed in that responsibility. I really didn't do it very frequently. As if we laid in bed that night watching, I found a lump. The more I searched, I kept finding that same spot over and over and over again. 
And not having really checked monthly, I was really kind of questioning and not sure. So Dave felt and stated, I'd better get it checked out. You see, God was with us. What made her watch the news that night? Or follow along and do the breath exam? The next morning, I kept thinking, what if I'm just, what I'm feeling is normal? I did not want to call my mom and dad, which I always did, because I figured she had enough on her plate right now. Was I just imagining it? What would the doctor say? Would he laugh at me when I went in? I just had had a mammogram in September. Nothing showed up. I was somewhat in denial, I'll admit, but also fear. I trusted my secretary at school quite a bit at that time, and I called her in and we visited her, and I, she immediately told me, Cindy, go get it checked out. So I called Dr. Schrader, who got me in immediately. Did not even ask what breast the lump was in, but did an exam and found it immediately. I had not imagined it. It was real, but there was no family history. He tried to aspirate it, but no fluid came out. Dr. Schrader gave me two options. I could keep an eye on it for six months or we could do a biopsy. Well, I chose the latter. I did not uh, want to wait. Remember, I'm the pessimist in this family unit. He wanted to know what surgeon I wanted to go to. Well, I had no idea. I said I needed to talk to Dave as he used to work at the hospital as an ambulance driver, so he would know who to go to. I left in shock. Now this was before cell phone time, guys. So I, at least, they might have been the big bag ones, but I didn't have a cell phone, so I needed to talk to Dave, and I was quite proud of myself. I drove all the way to Regis, really in pretty good shape. Thought I was doing fine. Um, Dr. Schrader made me feel it was a precaution and things would be fine. I was okay until I walked into Dave's office, you see, and then the floodgates opened up. To this day, I don't know how he understood a word that I had said. Both him and I talked and we decided to call Dr. Brian. See, I had his children in school here and I trusted him. He would take good care of me. Dr. Schrader had us in to see Dr. Briling that very Wednesday of that week. Our family, our faith family here at All Saints really gathered around and helped us. When we met with Dr. Briling, he also thought with no family history, things would be okay. I was nervous, but okay. I'd never had surgery before. The only time I'd ever been in the hospital was to have the children. He recommended a biopsy to make sure. So we started talking about times and when would be best. I bring out my big planner and I'm looking, well, I got a board meeting this week and I got this meeting this week and I've got this to do. And he looks at me and stops me dead sentence. And he said, Cindy, I'm not talking about a week or a month from now. I'm talking about this Friday. I want you in for a pre-op tomorrow. We'll do the biopsy on Friday. All of a sudden, things kind of stopped. My thoughts were, what do I do with my children? Well, I also thought, I guess it's time to break the news to mom and dad. I tried to play it down with them. They had enough on their plate. Remember thinking, God, what is going on here? I'm not sure I can take any of this right now. I had lots of questions. There was lots of prayers. 
I was still trying to be positive, but remember, I'm the worrier of the two of us. I kept telling myself, there's no family history and the doctors don't seem to be too concerned. Just a precaution. But you had a lot of fears of surgery and um, I had to turn over to God. You see, I used to have terrible nightmares when I was younger. And my mom would always tell me, go back to bed, say in our father and let God handle it. Well, it worked then, so I guess I'd try that now. The only time in the hospital, as I told you, was to deliver the children. And right before surgery, I was a wreck. I was really nervous about being put under. All of a sudden, Father Doug Lucky comes into the hospital. The nurses are ready to wheel me into surgery. But all of a sudden, Doctor, our Father, Mar our Father Doug walks in and kicks everybody out of the room. And I remember thinking, wow, what power. And it was that time that Father Doug and I prayed and I received the anointing of the sick. A kind of peace or a calm came over me. When finished, the nurse came back in, took me to surgery. You know, God answers, but we never know how. As I look back, I truly feel he sent Father Lucky to me when I truly needed him. I remember waking up from surgery. I was alone in the recovery room. And Dr. Bryling walked in, and I truly remember the look on his face. And I remember the words that came out of his mouth. Cindy, I'm sorry, but it is cancerous. As I lay there in shock, I remember thinking, what about Dave? What about the poor kids? The youngest was only in fourth grade at this time. Now what? I think this is the first time that really hit me, you know, quite a while. Wow. And I kept thinking, I know what I expect from the doctor to tell me, and then all of a sudden, it's not what he told me, what I expected. And so, I had, we had to rely on, yeah, rely on God again. Remember I told you earlier, God didn't promise a life without pain and struggles and hardship, but he did promise to give us the strength to get through this. Dr. Bryling at that time said we'd meet on Monday and discuss our options. Dave and I already had told ourselves if it was cancerous, I just wanted it gone. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, this is one of our favorite uh, Bible verses. The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. When you take a look at that Bible verse, it's like having three strings hanging down. Man, woman, and God. When you interwove those with God, that makes those three strands very strong. And so we relate this to husband, wife, and God. Again, one of our favorite verses in the Bible. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves a quarter of three strands. It's not quickly broken. We prayed a lot that weekend, asking for strength and God's help. I'm always the pessimist, Dave's the positive path. We never know what God has and how he's going to answer us, but he's always with us in our entire journey. And we didn't know it then, but we do know it now. We met with Dr. Riley on Monday, and my options were either a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. 
We decided on a mastectomy due to the location of the lung. The, the surgery was scheduled for that week. So I had never gone back into school that for over a week now. I was weak in the hospital, test being run and waiting for test results from the lymph nodes. God had a plan. I figured he was not done with me yet. I was lucky, in fact, because the protocol at that time did not call for chemo. Both doctors wanted a second opinion, however, and they sent me to a specialist, Dr. Ghosh, and my biopsy was sent down to Texas. I was told by Dr. Ghosh to get the stress out of my life. Yeah, right. <laughs> Watch my diet, exercise. I was put on a five-year study, which I'm still checked yearly to this day. The thing is, however, that two years later, my first cousin was also diagnosed with breast cancer, Sandra. And when meeting with Dr. Ghosh, I just said to him, I asked him about her treatment because it seemed to be much more aggressive than mine was. I told him uh, Sandra had an aggressive form of cancer. And Dr. Ghosh stopped me mid-sentence and he said, Cindy, you do you know yours was an aggressive form of cancer? My response was no. He said, I don't mean to scare you, but the protocol today would have been extensive chemotherapy. That is why it's so important that you're in this five-year study to show us that it's not always needed. The saying goes that marriage is not a noun, it's a verb. It isn't something you get, it's something you do. It's the way you love your partner every day. Dave was with me through it all. I know he prayed, but he was also my lifeline. He kept the family together during those days. I know my kids were scared. He kept them calm. He kept working and kept things in the house going along smoothly, or as much as smoothly as possible. Anyone can love when the sun, sun is shining, but when it's storming out, you really turn, truly learn to love and care for one another. As stated earlier, marriage is ever-changing relationship. Marriage vows say for better, for worse, richer or poor, sickness and health. In Mark chapter nine, 10, verse 9, it says, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You know, we're in a throwaway society today. If it breaks or we don't want it anymore, we get rid of it. As Dave and I have journeyed together through the years, we have had times of hardship and trials that have challenged us. We have tried to keep God in the center of our life. We start every Sunday morning going to Mass together and then enjoy breakfast out. This is a tradition we started when we were dating and continued when our children came along. We may have had to drive our children by going out to breakfast if they were good in church. But as but as they grew up, they knew that Sunday was a very important uh, part of our day by starting it out going to church, just as we learned from our parents. We have tried to keep the vows we join together under God an important part of our journey together. Marriage is like a fine wine. Or bourbon. If tended properly, it just gets better with age. 
Our family is no different than others. In fact, many times marriage is centered around the activities of children as they grow up. We never missed an event they were involved in. And we see this in our children and how they are involved with their children. As grandparents, we love to attend as many events as possible. We now go to dance, cheer, baseball, grandparents' day, etc. It's only beginning, we know. We are empty nesters now. And we have to learn, or relearn, to communicate. It's not about the kids anymore. We are learning to spend more time with friends, love our grandchildren. And they're a lot more fun than raising our own. We get to give them back at the end of the day. We enjoy traveling, zip lining, snorkeling, climbing a waterfall, bobsledding, parasailing together, and visiting wine vineyards. And every time we stop on the way back from Illinois or Minnesota, it seems to cost me another case of wine. Happiness in marriage is a moment-by-moment -moment choice. In our 42 years of marriage, we learn the first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. And the first to forget is the happiest. Marriage takes work. It has its ups and downs. It's a 100%, 100% endeavor. It's a choice to love, forgive, grow old together with God's grace and help. The best things we've discovered in our lives together are the people that we have come to know, the places that we have seen, and the memories that we have made along the way. In closing, our prayer to you is not to sweat the small things, accept what is, let go of what was, and have faith in what will be. And at this time, we invite all of you to take out um, your songbook and turn to page 377 and join us in Here I Am, Lord. Three, seven, seven.